Welcome to the Wellness Journey podcast from the St. John Vianney Center. I'm Dr. Mariette Danila, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to journey with you through these challenging times and to hopefully provide you with information that will help sustain you. Our podcasts are aimed at keeping you healthy in the mind, body, and spirit. This is Podcast 20. The title of today's podcast is Christmas and Our Everyday Challenges. How are you? Well, I hope. The vaccines are right around the corner and we're beginning to see a light at the end of the tunnel. So let me begin by expressing gratitude to all the healthcare workers, first responders, researchers and scientists, and public health professionals for their hard work. And thank you to all those who continue to observe CDC recommended guidelines. You are protecting yourself and others. But let's not drop our guard until the right time. It's a real treat for me to be with you again. You know, in thinking about you and what you might benefit from hearing and what you might need during this time, I thought about this Advent and Christmas. All the external trappings remain, the tree, the decorations, the lights, and the creche, our most precious nativity scene. I decided to reread the infancy narratives. I struggle to relate this time in the life of Jesus. Mary's yes, the journey, the cave, the shepherds, the wise men. And I marvel at how Joseph unselfishly took on the God-given role of provider, protector, among others. But this world today, I feel like an observer to the nativity and find it difficult to hear, see, smell, and experience it. Then I thought of something Gertrude Mueller said in her book, To Dance with God. She says, and I quote, Indeed, aware that we once walked with God and then lost that innocence, only to be given a new hope in the incarnation. We become responsible for healing our brokenness and bringing him to birth in the everyday challenges of the human condition. Hmm. In thinking about what this means for us, some key questions come to mind. First, How can we be responsible for healing our own brokenness? What is meant by this? What do we have to do? How do we have to think? What do we need to notice? We've attempt at the St. John Vianney Center in our own small way to create work and create programs that try to help you with this lens. Um, it's my hope that this is what we're doing. And I, I struggle and I strive to this day to try and do that. Secondly, what steps can we take to heal our own brokenness? 
Third, how can we bring him to birth in the everyday challenges of the human condition? And fourth, how can you do so in the everyday challenges of your professional and personal life, in your mission, in your community, in your family? How can you do this? Pope Francis reminds us, and I quote, We do well to keep in mind the early Christians and our many brothers and sisters throughout history who were filled with joy, unflagging courage and zeal in proclaiming the gospel. Some people nowadays console themselves by saying things are not as easy as they used to be. Yet we know that the Roman Empire was not conducive to the gospel message, the struggle for justice, or the defense of human dignity. Every period of history is marked by the presence of human weakness, self-absorption, complacency, and selfishness, to say nothing of the concupiscence which preys upon us all. These things are ever-present under one guise or another. They are due to our human limits rather than particular situations. Let us not say then that things are harder today. They are simply different. But let us learn also from the saints who have gone before us, who confronted the difficulties of their own day. So I propose that we pause to rediscover some of the reasons which can help us to imitate them today. End quote. So we know that Christ was born into a hostile world. Who are we during these times in salvation history? The world, and now this pandemic, provides a backdrop, so to speak, that challenges us to live out the gospel message. But what gets in the way? What gets in the way of this, your mission? and mine. I'd like to begin with you and me and the familiar topic, something we've been talking about throughout these podcasts, self-knowledge. What did Jesus know and when did he know it? When did he understand his mission? We're not sure, but we do know that by the time he was tested in the desert, Jesus, now thinking intently on his mission, was subject to the same temptations that all of us are. For power? Wouldn't we love to have control over everything? For security? Wouldn't we want to always stay safe? For easy answers? How nice to say goodbye to the mystery of life and have those easy answers. But that's not the case, is it? So what gets in our way? Let me share with you some roadblocks to joy, some sure-fired ways of heading to despair. It's always useful to examine our assumptions about things 
because they may not be correct or healthy or useful. But you could spot them and deal with them if you are self-aware. And then you can deal with them effectively. Here are some examples of dysfunctional beliefs. Check off the ones you think you may have. People should not be so difficult, resistant, or challenging. Number two, I must be successful. Next, if I am not successful in alleviating problems, I can't feel good about myself. You know, we often see in the priesthood, priests who really want to help fix things for people. They really want to help. And if they don't feel that they're successful in alleviating those problems, um, it could cause them great distress. But this is an assumption that is incorrect and not healthy. None of us can alleviate all problems. Next, I should not like I should not dislike any of my colleagues or superiors. I should always have good judgment. I should have the answers to challenges. I should not have any emotional reactions myself. And if I do, I should not pay attention to them. My worth as a person is dependent on my job performance or what I do. I must have things the way I know they should be or I won't be happy. I will be seen as weak if I ask for help. Other people should see things my way or what? We cannot be friends or what? And last, I must be perceived as totally competent. Well, I'm living proof. That doesn't need to happen. So, ah, uh, the shoulda, coulda, wouldas, the road to depression. I shoulda, I coulda, I woulda. In thinking about the Holy Family, I thought how pristine and perfect they are. I suppose we can strive in a healthy way to be healthy and holy. But what does this mean? In communities and families of the domestic church, we can learn what holiness is. Community and family might be likened to a boot camp that involves exercising virtues. It's not enough to learn what virtues are. We encounter opportunities every day to exercise them like weights at the gym. We cannot build muscles unless we lift and use resistance training. It requires resistance to be strengthened. Members offer feedback and support. Community and family members smooth and chisel each other's rough edges. To love, is to help one another to become who God wants them to be.
let's, let's be more specific. What would be the signs of a healthy family or a healthy community? First, God is brought into the center of their lives and problems. They find God in the everyday. They're grateful to God. Problems are brought to prayer, but God is at the center. Members are bonded together, not against each other. They edify and uplift each other. And there is a strong sense of connection. There's no one-upmanship, competition, and uh, glee at the failure of another family member. Next, members hold one another accountable. Oh my goodness. We set boundaries for one another, but we hold one another accountable. And that means we don't enable another person. Healthy families do not sweep problems under the rug. When necessary to speak out, they engage in compassionate confrontation. And what is compassionate confrontation? Jesus models this perfectly in the merciful gaze, and I'm going to close today with that. Next, there is trust. Members can be human and disclose feelings to others without retribution or being shamed or humiliated. Next, the thoughts and feelings of members are not minimized, trivialized, discounted, undermined, or ignored. Next, healthy families and communities recognize that conflict is necessary and they learn healthy skills and strategies to navigate through it. Next, members can distinguish the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is, I did something wrong, or I made a mistake. Shame is, I am a mistake, and no one is a mistake. Next, they strive for reconciliation, healing, and love. Their stance is always one of goodwill and perseverance. We're open to forgiveness and healing. Next, healthy families and communities engage in worship, humor, play, and laughter, compassion, and understanding. Healthy families and communities have healthy boundaries. They respect the boundaries of others and know how to set them for themselves. And you can read more about boundaries and hear, hear more about boundaries on uh, one of the podcasts that we've done, uh, the one on boundaries. Uh, please refer to it if you'd like to learn more. Next. They strive to grow and learn. Self-discipline, conflict resolution, conflict transformation, and communication skills. How to give and accept love, cooperation, sacrifice. I think of Joseph when I think about that. 
commitment, and how to be patient with one another. Lastly, members strive to understand and grow in affective maturity and capacity for intimacy. They gain in self-awareness and the ability to disclose themselves to trusted others, and they can disclose the good, bad, and the ugly. I'd like to close, as promised, with a model communication style for compassionate confrontation. Jesus always said what needed to be said, when it needed to be said, and how it needed to be said. Here is a quote from, Saint, from Pope Francis about the merciful gaze of Jesus. We can sure use this in our community and family life today allowing ourselves to be looked upon by Jesus, whose gaze changes our lives, was the focus of Pope Francis's remarks after the readings at a mass on the feast of St. Matthew, apostle and evangelist, whose conversion story was told in the gospel passage of that day. It makes me think about what Matthew needed to leave on that table in order to follow Christ. Uh, I would imagine he'd have to leave much of many of the things we talked about today. I quote, Jesus looks Matthew, a tax collector, a public sinner whose whole life was money, which he idolized, right in the eye. Then, Pope Francis said, Matthew feels in his heart the gaze of the Lord who looked upon him. That gaze overtook him completely. It changed his life. We say he was converted. He changed his life. As soon as he felt that gaze in his heart, he got up and followed him. This is true. Jesus' gaze always lifts us up. It is a look that always lifts us up and never leaves you in your place never lets us down, never humiliates. It invites you to get up, a look that brings you to grow, to move forward, that encourages you because the one who looks upon you loves you. The gaze makes you feel that he loves you. This gives the courage to follow him. And he got up and followed him. The gaze of Jesus, said Pope Francis, is not something magical. Jesus was not a specialist in hypnosis. Jesus looked on everyone, and everyone felt his gaze upon him, as if Jesus had called each person by name. And this look would change the lives of everyone. So did Peter change, who, after denying his Lord, then met his gaze and wept bitterly. Then there is the final gaze from the cross. He looked on his mother, looked at the beloved disciple, and said with that look, he told us that his mother was our mother and that the church is mother with a look. 
Then he looked at the good thief and once again to Peter, who was afraid after the resurrection with those three questions. Do you love me? A look that shamed him. The Pope said, it will do us well to think and pray about this gaze of Jesus and to let ourselves be looked on by him. Jesus goes to the house of Matthew. As he was sitting at the table, many sinners arrive. Word had spread, and all of society, but not the respectable folks, felt invited to lunch. And it happened in the parable of the king who ordered the servants to go to the main crossroads to invite to his son's wedding as many people as they met, both good and bad. And sinners, tax collectors, and sinners, they felt that Jesus had looked on them and that gaze of Jesus upon them, I believe, was like a breath on embers. And they felt that there was fire in the belly again and that Jesus lifted them up gave them back their dignity. The gaze of Jesus always makes us worthy, gives us dignity. It is a generous look. But behold, what a teacher, dining with the dregs of the city. But beneath that dirt, there were the embers of desire for God, the embers of God's image that wanted someone who could help them be kindled anew. This is what the gaze of Jesus does. All of us in our lives, concluded Pope Francis, have felt this gaze, and not only once, many times. Perhaps the person of a priest who taught us doctrine or forgave our sins, perhaps in the help of friends. And we all have our instances of this. And to continue the quote, but all of us find ourselves before that gaze, that marvelous gaze, and we go forward in life in the certainty that he looks upon us. He too, however, awaits us in order to look on us definitively. And that final gaze of Jesus upon our lives will be forever. It will be eternal. I ask all the saints upon whom Jesus has looked to prepare us to let ourselves be looked upon in life and that they prepare us also for that final and first gaze of Jesus. End quote. All of us at the St. John Vianney Center wish you a joyous, healthy, and blessed Christmas. You've been listening to the Wellness Journey Podcast. I hope today's topic, Christmas and our everyday challenges, proves useful to you. You can find all our podcasts and get additional information and resources for clergy and religious by visiting our website at sjvcenter.org and click on resources. We are the St. Giovanni Center and our mission is you.